Good morning, and welcome back to the Breaking Borders podcast. My name is Connor, and I'm the host for today's episode titled The Borders of an Evolving Texas. In today's episode, I have Katie here with me today to answer a few questions that our audience has from her paper. How are you today, Katie? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me today. Alrighty, the first question from you is going to be from Lauren. In your paper, you talk about how one type of border can be turned into another. Use the example of class border transitioning into different social borders as time goes on. Why do you think these borders transition into other borders? Do you think that there are people involved in these different borders? Is the reason why the borders change and transition? Can you give an example of this transition in today's society? I think these borders transition into others because the same factors that cause one type of border can also cause other types of borders. In the reading that showcased these two borders, women in Texas were often in poverty or near poverty conditions since agriculture is often a volatile profession. The class disparities that they experienced was the lack of money, and this lack of money could also cause social borders since they lived entirely different lives from women who didn't live in the country, who more than likely had more and could afford more, generally speaking. I think that over time, borders change naturally, but it could be caused by the people involved or it can happen independently. An example that I could think of in today's society is people who are poor tend to not have access to good schools. So a class border can turn into an education border. A lack of solid education can prevent someone from pursuing higher education that can help them get good paying jobs. All right, next question is from Jack. Thank you. In your first paragraph discussing open quote does close quote by patricia griffith you talk about borders growing between rich and poor texas families due to this discovery of oil do you think borders like this are still growing or being created by developing industries such as cryptocurrency does every new booming industry create class borders it is possible that borders are developing and growing due to developing industries, especially if that industry employs a lot of people and is profitable. I can't comment on cryptocurrency because I know less than nothing about it, but I guess it's possible that cryptocurrency could create and expand borders. However, I think the oil boom in Texas was a unique situation because before Texas was an agricultural society, and the introduction of oil was a dramatic change towards industrialization, which the state and its people hadn't seen before. I don't think every single new booming industry would create class borders because, like I said, I think that the oil boom was somewhat a was somewhat of a unique situation. Now to Shauna for the next question. Thank you. In your paper, you discuss the sad irons written by Robert A. Caro, which describes the hardships that the women in rural Texas had to face. Do you believe that there are still stereotypes between social and class borders in urban and rural places? If so, how do these stereotypes affect society? Do you think that there's still a social gap between rural and urban places? I do think that there... I do think that there are many stereotypes between urban and rural places, and many of them can relate to social and class borders. People in rural and urban areas often live entirely different lives, and because of this, they often appear very different from each other. I don't think these stereotypes affect society in an overtly negative way, just like most stereotypes. They are what they are, and they usually don't cause much damage or harm to society as a whole. I do think that there is a social gap still between rural and urban areas today because of a different life, uh, because of the different lifestyles rural, rural and urban people live by. I can think of many ways that people who live in the country and people who live in the city are different from each other. And while the gap is not likely as extreme as it was before, at the time these sources were written, they definitely still exist today. 
I'll ask the next question for you. Uh, sorry, throughout your paper, you address the interlinking of borders and how some borders help influence and maintain other borders. Do you think that all borders are somewhat interlinked? And if so, how should society go about breaking borders if all borders are supported by each other? I think that there are borders that can support or are linked with other borders. For example, I talked about racial borders in my essay, and racial borders can be interlinked with social and or class borders as well. Breaking borders is difficult because it could take time, and there are some borders that will never be broken. For example, there, are always, there will always be class borders because there's always going to be people who live in poverty. Just because borders can be interlinked doesn't mean they cannot be broken down, however. They're being linked together if some way, in some ways can make it harder, but it does not make it impossible to break them. Racial borders over time have broken down and you can make an argument that they are interlinked with other forms of borders. Now to Colby with the next question. <laughs> Thank you. In your paper, you referenced the court case Grovey versus Townsend, 1935. The interaction between the white clerk and the black voter represented a racial border that was apparent during the early to mid 20th century in Texas. Do you believe that racial borders are still present in the voting process today? Or do you think that social pressure has done its job in eliminating racism within this institution? I think that social pressures have done their job over time. Today, I don't believe that there are any major institutional borders holding African Americans or any minority group back in the voting process, if any border at all. Social pressures are a great way to break down borders over time because borders are often societal, and when society works together to break down a border, it can be done, and it can be done fairly quickly. Especially now with the internet, today more than ever, it is very easy to start breaking down borders in our society. Social media is uh, filled with people attempting to do just that. Next question is from Clayton. You said that borders have always been around and will continue to stay around for all time. Are there any that you think will die out? If so, which ones and how will they go out? On the other hand, which borders do you think are here to stay and will never be eliminated? There are some borders that I could think of that can go away with time. Those being borders that are caused by temporary issues. COVID could be argued as an example of a border because people were, people were prevented from engaging with normal life for years, and eventually this border will disappear. There are many major events in history that can be argued as an example of a temporary border. As, a, as for borders that will never go away, as I have stated previously, I believe class borders will be around forever because there will always be people who live in poverty. Racial borders are another example of a border that I unfortunately think will never be eradicated because there are always going to be people who dislike other people based on their skin color and race. Almost all of the major borders talked about in previous episodes are likely borders that will not disappear over time. Grant has the next question. In your paper, you state that state class borders can transition into social borders. What are some examples in today's society of these changing borders? As I stated in a previous question, class borders can often turn into educational borders because schools in poor areas may not be as well funded as schools in richer areas, decreasing the quality of the education received. When people receive a poor education, they are less likely to pursue higher education, and this may wall them off from receiving jobs that pay well, creating a cycle that is hard to break. Another example of a border leading to another border is class borders leading to health problems. People who are poor may not be, uh, be able to receive as great care as people who have more money. There are people who will decline, uh, who will, 
not receive medical treatment for illnesses like cancer where treatment is available because of the cost. Next question is from Kamsi. In the second paragraph of your paper, you talk about uh, the wealth disparity between the upper and lower class in the 20th century Texas. Why do you believe that this gap increased with the introduction of oil in Texas? And did this aid in strengthening the borders separating classes in Texas at the time? I believe that the introduction of the oil industry in Texas increased the class gap because this industry brought in many high paying jobs, which is a net positive for the area as a whole. As people who... As people would move to Texas and take these higher paying jobs, which were often located in the city, Houston to be specific, a gap was created between them and the native people who are often farmers and ranchers. So while the cities got richer from oil money and more people moved there for economic opportunities, the agricultural community rarely benefited, rarely benefited from the oil industry and stayed stagnant. So while the oil industry was an overly, uh, overtly positive or was an overall positive for Texas because it industrialized the state as well as introduced good jobs. It did, however, participate in increasing the class gap that existed between rich and poor people in Texas. Next question is from Adriana. In your paper, you talked about the innovation Texas was experiencing with the new discoveries. In the reading of John Summon, oil capital of the world in 1940 and mentioned how Houston was the main location in the spike of oil. Do you think it allowed for people to have more job opportunities? If so, why did the lower class stay poor since they were doing all the work while the rich was benefiting from them and growing the industry? The job opportunities you are talking about were created by the oil boom, not by Houston. Houston just happened to be the best location to base the oil industry, and the city as a whole benefited greatly from the oil boom, but Houston itself didn't create more job opportunities. The oil boom is actually what made Houston because before it wasn't that large of a city, and the boom allowed it to grow greatly. If anything, the oil boom allowed for more job opportunities to be created in Houston, so things like services to accommodate the massive population spike, not Houston creating more job opportunities for the oil industry. The lower class I discussed in my essay was related to the agricultural people of Texas who didn't benefit from the oil boom because they were not involved with it often. There were lower class people in spaces like the city who got jobs in the oil industry and benefited, and benefited from them. No singular industry is going to be able to enrich everyone in society. There was always going to be an upper and lower class. As for the rich benefiting from this industry, I think it benefited everyone who participated, not just the rich, because it introduced jobs for people who needed them. While there were some rich people who got richer from the industry, most people who would be considered rich started out poor and got rich from working in oil. Unfortunately, Brianna couldn't make it today, but she still had a question, so Shauna's going to ask that now. In your paper, you discussed how there was a border between social classes that grew with the oil industry. In which way do you think this border is manifested into our current society? This border manifests itself in our current society in the same way it did in the past, by there being a class, not social gap between people who worked in this industry, as well as others now, and people who worked in agriculture. Today, other industries have joined the oil industry in creating more jobs for people who are seeking economic opportunity, allowing cities like Houston to grow so large and so quickly. Industries like aerospace, medicine, and tech have all created an important impact in Texas, and while this type of business is a great thing to have in the state, it is still reinforcing a 
class border between them and the people who work in agriculture. There is no tension between the two. They are just different. I am in no way saying that farmers and ranchers are always poor, but historically people who live in this job tend to not have as much money due to it being unpredictable. These industries bring jobs to people who want them, allowing people to earn a stable income, and agriculture is known to be anything but stable. So today this border manifests in the same way that it did historically. The final question of the day is from Zach. Um, in your paper, you talk about how there are class differences between the rural and the urban population. Do you think that these class differences aided in creating different cultures between rural and urban populations? If so, how do you think this affected the borders of Texas? The class differences definitely aided in the creation of a different culture between the people who lived in the city and the people who lived in rural areas. This affected the borders in Texas because cultural differences are their own form of borders between people. That's all the questions we have for you today, Katie. Thank you for everyone who came out and asked all these amazing questions to our author. Thank you, Katie, for being willing to answer these questions so well. And thank you to our wonderful and faithful listeners. We hope that you'll tune in for next week's episode of Breaking Borders, where we'll be discussing Zach's paper. Our team here at Breaking Borders Podcast would like to thank our audience for coming out and asking these questions to our guest author. We would also like to say a special thank you to Dr. Fletcher for providing us with the readings that were featured in this week's podcast. Also, we would like to thank our guest author one more time for being willing to come out and answer these questions on this week's episode. Make sure you tune in every Friday as we will have a different author talking about their take on the borders. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening.